He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Jim Woodward, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you today. And boys, it's been a week since we've talked, so we have a lot to get into. I had other obligations on the sports animal I had to get to. I'm ready to talk some golf, boys. We've been talking football and NBA season starting and MLB baseball. The playoffs are going on there. But I'm ready to talk some golf because even though it's October, Taylor, we have some big stories in the game of golf. Brooks Kepka gets a win at the Live Golf Jetta event last week. Week. Keegan Bradley gets the win at the Zozo. Ricky Fowler was a big story there as well. And we'll get into the CJ Cup later in the show. But T-Dub, I, I think we have to start with Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler is a guy that we talked a lot about even a couple weeks ago when we heard the news about Butch Harmon. But T-Dub, Butch Harmon's a miracle worker. I guarantee you that Ricky Fowler's going to have a great season. His swing looks a little more upright. It looks a little more in control. He looks confident. He looks natural. And we talked a lot about this, T-Dub. And, and to me, I think that even though he didn't win the golf tournament, that's the story of the week of last week in the game of golf, just to me. Yeah, guys. I mean, I came on here on our show last week, and I proclaimed that it was going to take Ricky forever to figure this out. I thought it would be middle of the season before he started having any of this type of form. But you know what? He kept it going because we, we recorded our show after the first round um, of the Zozo because the tournament was in Japan. So we had the second round. He shot 63, went out there and, and just absolutely lit it up and shoot 66. On Saturday, has a, is sitting at the top of the leaderboard, has a great chance to win. Is going to make me look like an absolute idiot. But it's kind of what you expect whenever you're going through swing changes, Woody. Don't necessarily have your best stuff on the weekend. He only had two birdies and two bogeys. Very, very steady. He did hit a decent amount of green, so that was good to see. But we had talked about it before as well, guys. I mean, Ricky's putter hasn't been as good as it used to be either, and I think we saw a little bit of that come down the stretch as well. So I do think he is further along than we thought, Woody, but uh, I, I do think it may take just a little bit more time for him to get comfortable under pressure situations with the changes that him and Butcher make. Well, you have to be cautiously optimistic, okay? Because that's the first time he's really strung really four pretty good rounds together, a couple of really low rounds. Uh, the golf course obviously wasn't all that difficult, but still he had to go perform. And what I said when we talked about this, it's the golf swing. Everybody makes a big deal about the golf swing. It's it's important to have a good, solidly structured golf swing, but brain. What's between the ears? Uh, you guys just don't realize at that high level how fragile those guys are. And once once it gets a little bit off, and and let's just be honest, Ricky's just been off not for a little while. I mean, it's been off for a pretty long time. And to bring him back, I know of only one guy that's capable of that. And that's Butch Herman, and it looks like. They're off to a good start. I'm I'm still optimistic, cautiously, like I said, but I think I said it last time I talked two weeks ago. I said he's going to have a big 23, and I still believe that. 
And Woody, just technically, I know I sent you that video of Ricky's swing on the range. I watched Ricky hit golf balls at the PGA at Southern Hills, um, and it just didn't look comfortable. He kept flaring these three woods out to the right. It looked like he was really laid off and and couldn't really um, rotate and, and really get back to the impact position that he wanted. And to me, what I saw from Ricky Fowler, at least this week, was he looked comfortable. And and tell me technically what you see in that swing that might make Ricky feel a little bit more comfortable with Butch Harmon. Well, fundamentally, that golf swing is better than when, even when Ricky was playing in college and when he first got on tour. Uh, this, this golf swing is a lot more consistent, is what I'd say, Sam. It's, the positions are really, really good. And we all know that the hardest thing in golf is the transition from the top of the swing down to the hitting area. Finding something you can repeat. I mean, you can look at guys like Matthew Wolf. Uh, you can look at guys like Ricky Fowler. Those swings are as different as night and day, except that last foot, foot and a half before the strike of the golf ball. And it doesn't matter what they do. Jim Furyk's another perfect example. There's a lot that can go on, but that move from the top down, there's guys that do it a lot of different ways, but this is the first time I've actually seen Ricky where he, I believe he understands it. I truly believe he knows what he's doing, but that's where Butch Harmon comes in. Butch Harmon convinces him he can do it. And, and I, again, guys, I never took a golf lesson from Butch Harmon. I, I listened to him teach, but He's the most positive individual when he's working with people. Every shot they hit, even if it's a bad shot, he has something positive to say that they did. And he just builds their confidence back slowly, but does it in a way that, like I said, I don't know how to explain it other than that. He just is such a positive individual when he teaches. And, it's working. I'm telling you that it's working. And and Ricky's swing is better, Sam. I do believe it's better. It's hard to knock what it was already there, but this swing does look better, and I think it's more fundamentally sound. And T-Dub, let's talk a little bit about Keegan Bradley, the guy who won the golf tournament at 15 under in Japan. And Keegan Bradley is one of those guys last year where he got on a little bit of a hot streak, but where I really liked Keegan Bradley's game last year, T-Dub, was even though he didn't putt great, he he gained .01 on the greens last year. It was better than losing half a shot, which he did uh, the last four years before 2022. Um, And he started off this 2023 season I know it's only two tournaments but he's gained 1.43 shots on the greens and he has two starts two top fives and a win I mean T-Dub it it just seems like Keegan Bradley has something figured out we kind of saw it last year we thought it might have been the ball striking because he he was hitting the ball really consistent but really when you dive into the analytical stats if he just puts decent this guy is one of the better players in the world I mean, Keegan Bradley, going all the way back to 2012, guys, he has not lost strokes gain on a calendar year. Off the tee or strokes gain approach, he's one of the best ball strikers of the last decade. I mean, it's been absolutely unbelievable. He's been, out of everyone who is hurt by the the putter anchor band, Keegan Bradley was probably number one because 
when that band, band implemented, what was it, 2014, 2015, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. that's when his putting went to absolute hell. I mean, he, he went through, just like you alluded, Sam, from, from 2015 to 2021, that's seven years, or yeah, seven years. He did not gain stroke gain on the greens once uh, in all those years. And it I mean, got worse and worse each term. year. It, it just seemed like that he was searching, right? It, it seemed like he was kind of trying something a little bit different every time. He's always been fairly, fairly about sure average when it comes to around the greens, maybe even a little bit better than average on some of those years. So all of his games there, if he can just get his putting going, and we saw that at this last week, Sam, on the 71st hole, Keegan had just come off uh, bogey in two of his last three holes, one of which was on a par five. Kind of gave away a little bit of the lead that he had. But made a clutch, I believe about 20-footer on 17 with a lot of breaks on it. Made one of those classic Keegan fist pumps when he made it was able to, to par 18 and, and still win. So, so, yeah, you're exactly right. If he's able to get that putter rolling, he's going to be an absolute world beater like he was back in 2012. Remember when him and Phil were paired together in Ryder Cup? They were just an absolute unbeatable team, and I expect that you know we might be able to see a little bit more of that, that Keegan for him if he can ever just get, get the putter rolling a little bit. And Woody, I, I got to mention this interview that Keegan Bradley gave after the tournament, and he told a story about how he played with Tiger Woods at the Zozo in 2019 when Tiger won the Zozo, and he said it was one of the most unique ball-striking clinics that he had ever seen, and he said that he never got rattled. It was just he walked slower. He did everything slower, and Keegan said that he really tried to replicate that in his last round of the Zozo as well. Um, What do you think that Keegan Bradley has done over these past six months? or so obviously he's putting better but just mentally Woody I'm curious to see or hear what you see from Keegan Bradley and it seems like he's getting back to more of the player that we saw beat Scott Verplank out at Atlanta Athletic Club in that PGA Um, Woody it just seems like something is different between the ears not necessarily technically with Keegan Bradley he's older for one thing he's more mature Keegan Bradley, I used to hate to watch him play golf. He'd fidget so much. I mean, and he still does. He <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and when you watch him go through, there, there was that one time he was spitting all the time that he, he learned how to not do that. But he makes me nervous. Uh, and, and watching him putt, it wouldn't be enough to drive me crazy. I'd have to turn my back. But it's, it's something that, again, we talked about those guys mentally. They have to find something they can rely on. And I said this to you guys on more than one occasion. Slowing down is one of the hardest things to do when you play golf, especially when we're home. We're playing carts. We play fast. Everything goes fast. Um, It's what I was always told, too. I was always told to walk slow, talk slow, breathe a lot through my nose. Anytime I was a lot of pressure, those were the first key things that any good player would tell you and any sports psychologist would tell you. You have to have a a calming sense over your body. There are some people that were inherently better at it, which comes to mind when you talk about Tiger, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer. There's a lot of those. Anybody that's won a lot of golf tournaments has already got that in their nature. They're able to uh, kind of flip a switch, for a better way of saying it, that when they get into competition, they are better in competition than they are just at home playing with the boys. And there's a few people like that. Anybody playing golf for a living is like that. But 
some are on steroids, how good they are. So that's what I see in Keegan, just between you and me. I think he's just gotten more mature. I think he's starting to believe he can win, and he did, and that's going to build. I, I, again, this guy's going to probably have a great 2023. There's a bunch of guys on that PGA Tour that are going to come to life in this oh, next round of uh, golf tournaments I think we haven't seen in a while, and it's going to be fun to watch. T-Dub, there was four or five names in the second half of the top ten at the Zozo that I'm curious to ask a question about. That would be Emiliano Grillo, Hayden Buckley, Sahith Gala, Victor Hovland, Cameron Champ, and Matthew Neesmith. Now, all these guys are younger guys on the PGA Tour. I'm curious to get your thoughts on who you think out of those guys might have the best year. You might throw Hovland out just because he's proven himself a little bit more than those other guys. Um, but Hayden Buckley, you know, he's a name that not many people know. He played at Missouri when I played at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. And every single time we saw Missouri, he just lapped the field. And he's a big-time player, and he's showing it again on the PGA Tour. Um, so out of those guys, it, it just seems like the PGA Tour, even though we talk about Liv having some young guys like Eugenio lopez Chikara, the PGA Tour has some young guys that could be some stars as well. You're absolutely right, Sam. It's just it's great to see that golf is in such a, a great place with all these young names out there. And out of all those guys you named that really stuck out to me, I think Sahiti Gall is going to have an absolutely fabulous year. I, I think that he's right there with with Keegan and Ricky, as we've all just complained, I want to throw uh, Sahith in there as well. I mean, he had a, a fabulous last year. If it wasn't for, for the year that Cameron Young had, he would have been the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. And he, he finished uh, second at the Travelers, finished fifth at the Memorial, one of the biggest tournaments on the PGA Tour, finished seventh at the Valspar, finished third at the Waste Management, which most people remember for hitting in the water on 17. So, yeah, I absolutely think he's going to have a, a tremendous year. And uh, I think you told me it's so hobbling out, but I think he's going to have good years. Well, it was a little alarming watching him on Sunday. He did have five bogeys in the first 12 holes of the tournament, was able to rebound a little bit playing his last five holes at four under par with an eagle on 14. So it, it, we've talked about this with Hovland forever. If he's just able to be even a little bit average or if he could be above average around the greens, he's going to win multiple tournaments because with the exception of a few, a few events last year, he's a little bit streaky with his iron play. He's just one of the best ball strikers that, that the game has ever seen. So I, I expect all those guys, really, that you mentioned, Sam, to be to be fairly well. You've been very high on Hayden Buckley. So, I mean, I'm going to take your word on he, um, he's doing pretty good. And he had uh, a few good finishes last year. So he finished 14th at the U.S. Open. So, yeah, I, I think that, like like you're saying, golf is in just an absolutely tremendous place with all these young guys. And I expect that that trend will just keep on going even more and more. It's not going to slow down anytime soon. I totally agree. The PGA Tour is in a good place, just as Liv, to me, is in a great place with Brooks Kepka boys winning at Liv Jetta in Saudi Arabia. And Brooks Kepka had an interesting quote after he won the golf tournament, Woody. I want to get to that first and then talk about the golf tournament because it really surprised me what he said, and, and maybe it shouldn't have, um, but he said that he didn't know if his career was over for a half second. That is the quote from Brooks Kepka after he won Liv Jetta. Woody, just from what you've seen from Brooks Kepka over the past year, I think a lot of people thought that he might have just rested on his laurels and not practiced as much as he should have when he went to live, but his game looks to be in a good place, and he looks motivated to kind of make a statement this year in 2023. 
I guess what we get caught in the trap is we're not living in that house with him and Dennis Sims. Thank goodness I'd be embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but we don't really know. Do we, you know, we can all, we can all guess. We can all give our two cents about it. We can all throw rocks and, and try to figure out, but he's the only guy that really knows what's going through his head. And those injuries, obviously were a lot more severe than we thought they were. He blew them off like they were no big deal. And that's what athletes do. They try to even convince themselves that these these injuries are not affecting my play. But they were. Obviously, they were, they were more serious than we thought. And he was in a very tough spot. And that's why he was so emotional when he finished that golf tournament. And, and then, of course, the average schmucks out there. What, what's your buddy Traver call them? The Yardbirds. <laughs> the Yardbirds out there are going to be the first ones to go, well, he acts like it's a big deal to win a live tournament. Well, I thought all he cared about were majors. When you're a golfer at that high level and you think you're not going to be able to play golf anymore at that high level, anything you do, even winning a live golf tournament is huge for his confidence. And I, I think that's why he was so emotional because he wasn't sure he was going to get back to that. We didn't know that, but now that he's admitted it, it is big. And I, and I'm, I'm, I was the one saying, I guess he got married and he's just having too much fun with his wife. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize his injuries were this severe. So if he's healthy, what shows you is Brooks Kepka is still Brooks Kepka. You know what I mean, guys? And mm-hmm. somewhere in this, we got to talk about that yard bird that pro that threw those rocks at him for asking if, uh, if a pro wins a golf tournament in the forest, but nobody's there, is he still a big win? What a dumb shit. Pardon my French. Uh, what an absolute idiot to call out a four-time major champion this Brooks Kepa can play circles around whatever his name is. I, I mean, you know, people make stupid statements all the time. I hate that. But I, I'd love to hear your guy's opinion because that was one of the most idiotic things I'd ever seen tweeted. Well, T-Dub, that kind of leads me to the question that I was going to ask you. And speaking of Twitter, I was on Twitter catching some shots this weekend because I tweeted out a picture of both leaderboards, the Live leaderboard and the PGA Tour leaderboard, and I said it's undebatable that the live leaderboard was better over the weekend. You have Brooks Kepka, Peter Uline, who's been playing great golf. If we, by the way, Peter Uline, a lot of people act like he is just a journeyman, which obviously he got off to a slow start on the PGA Tour, but go back to college when it was Patrick Cantlay at UCLA and Peter Uline playing for OSU, and they were paired together as the one bags at the national championship at Karsten Creek. So Peter Uline has been one of the best players in the world, you know, at certain times in his life, and it seems like he's playing some better golf. But back to the leaderboard. You have Brooks Kepka, Peter Uline, Joaquin Neiman, Sergio Garcia, Matthew Wolf, Dustin Johnson, Paul Casey, Wiesberger, Schwartzel, Lahiri, Answer, Gooch, and then I get down to the bottom, guys, and you have guys like Cam Smith and DeChambeau who will clearly play better golf in the future than they did this past week. I don't know how, other than being brainwashed, that people could possibly think that the PGA Tour event this past weekend, Ricky Fowler was a great story, but he's not a better name than Brooks Kepka or Dustin Johnson or Paul Casey or even Peter Uline right now, T-Dub. 
I think this is just another week, another example of the show that these two tours can, can coexist and make for great events. I mean, we had great finish over at Zozo, a great course over in Japan, and then we had a, a great finish over at the Live. We had a, a playoff with, with Kepka and Yuleline. And, and just want to highlight on Yuleline, too, I, like you and me will probably realize because we kind of grew up, we were a little bit younger than him, but so, slightly around the same time. Like, Yuleline was one of the best junior golfers of all time. Like, he was absolutely unbeatable. He was on the same line as when it comes to the junior talent, one of the USM was up at Chambers Base. So yeah, he, no, he's not a journeyman. He's he's similar to a lot of aspects of like a Justin Rose, like absolute world beater. Young takes forever to get it figured out, and I think he's been one of the biggest benefactors of going to a more comfortable style for him. I think him and Matt Wolf are the biggest examples of that. He finished uh, Matt Wolf finished, I believe, fifth. Yeah, yeah, type of fifth here. He puts his live leaderboard it's a little hard because so they don't separate. Oh, but yeah, you had Justin Johnson, Paul Casey there, also finished tied fifth, and then Joaquin Neiman, one of the best young players in the game, too, finished one shot back of that playoff, along with Sergio Garcia. So, yeah, it was an absolutely great leaderboard, and I, I'm not going to shout the P.J. Tour because it's great to have Ricky Fowler coming back to playing some good golf. Uh, as much as I've ripped on him over the years, a lot of people really love him, and it's a huge draw. So, yeah, there's absolutely no reason that, that this week should prove that, that these two events can't be great in their own rights. And if you want to downplay in a, like this event, like like Joel Damon did. I mean, that's fine. It's absolutely stupid. It's and he's going to make four million dollars. You'd have to win three PJ Tour events to get that much money. So so I mean, that's good for you, Joel. But yeah, it's just it's it's kind of stupid at this point. And just let everyone coexist and have their own fun. Let everyone make their money, play good golf. It's just great. It's great for golf. And and I'm just, I'm loving every minute of it, Sam. I truly am. I really am too, guys. And let's get to the actual golf tournament. Brooks Kepka wins at 12 under. He had to win in a playoff versus Peter Uline, guys. T-Dub, what did you think about that playoff? Because even before the playoff, Sergio Garcia even had a chance. And, and I love Liv because you can hear Sergio Garcia off the 18th green saying, no, I don't have a chance. Someone's going to get up and down there. Uh, and we hear some of that stuff uh, that we don't get to hear on the PGA Tour. Matt Wolf was at 10 under. Joaquin Neiman had a great chance to get in the playoff. Ends up one shot back at 11 under. But tell us about that playoff between Brooks Kepka and Peter Uline teed up. Well, it was interesting that, that both the guys are on, on the same team. They're both on, on match, so they, there weren't really any team rivalry there. They were absolutely loving every minute of catching that uh, the 750000 each, their, their $3 million total per team. But yeah, it was, well, that was a good playoff. What was it? There, there was uh, both players made birdies on the first two holes. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of interesting drama. But then once we get to, to the third playoff hole, that's when Kepka ended up making the putt. Yule line had, had the shot from the, from the bunker. They ended up going in the water. And so at that point, you knew it was essentially a done deal. So, you know, it, it's another good sign, too, that what is it, the second playoff that, that Liv's had, a Bedminster, or was, or was it Boston? Well, whichever one that, that does the Johnson one against uh, Neiman and Lahiri, I think that that's great. Great for, for Liv being able to get even extra holes in there and get extra excitement. So, so yeah, I, I think it's I think it's great, and it was great to see uh, Kepka end up pulling it off because I prognosticated a couple weeks ago that he would have got his first top ten at, at uh, in a live event at Bangkok, which he did. He ended up finishing eight. He propelled that good form uh, into this week. I just I remember watching the PJ Championship guys, and you know he just. I figured he would be one of the ones where the ball striking would just stick out so much to me. I remember watching him uh, at, at college. He played a regional at Jimmy Austin. He paired with Jordan Heath that day and Thomas Peters. It was really fun to watch. But 
it just seemed like at the PJ his ball striking wasn't really there, and you could tell that he was battling, battling those injuries still. And I, I remember what was it, about a year, year, year and a half ago where he was playing, he couldn't even bend down to read a putt. Like he was sitting there fully squatted mm-hmm. and, and not being able to bend his knees at all. So at Augusta National. Been going, at, at, at Augusta, yeah, because you're exactly right, because he was coming back to, to try to play in, in, in one of those majors. So it, he, he has battled these injuries, and it's good to see. Hopefully he can he can keep that going, because Kepka is one of those names that if you could have him contending in majors like he has, that's going to be great for the game of golf going forward, because there's a lot of people that, that either you either like Brooks or you don't like Brooks, so he's really good in that aspect of golf because it gets a lot of interest on when he plays. I, I totally agree with that, T-Dub. I've tried to tell people numerous times that Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau were two of the biggest pickups for Liv, even though when Liv picked them up, they weren't playing their best golf. They were both actually injured at the time, and, and it's just going to continue to get better for Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau going forward. Uh, I even had a guy on Twitter that I was arguing with saying, I'll, I'll take Bryson uh, for a pizza to win another major in his entire career. He never tweeted me back, uh, so I don't think I have that pizza bet there but what do you the last thing about live that i want to talk about is the team event and team smash woody this is the great thing about live to me is the fact that you can see how team smash won this golf tournament they didn't have a guy shoot over par the entire week woody they only had three even par rounds the rest were under par how important is it uh to just have four guys play consistently solid golf to win a team event i know you played college golf so tell tell me a little bit about the team mindset headed into a tournament it seemed flawless from team smash this week well that's why i think four aces had been so dominant is because you know, you got at least three guys you could count on every week, and, and Perez would throw something in there now and then. So this is the first time. You know, I, I feel like the Spaniard team, uh, I, I'm going to have to learn these guys' teams The better. fireballs. Uh, the fireballs. But when you go one-two, you better win the team event. <laughs> That's all I can say about That's that. Right. If not, those other two deadbeats you got, maybe it's time to uh, do a little uh, draft or a free, for, put it on waivers. Um, I still believe team golf is, is fun to do, but I always still say it's more that they're playing individually. I, I think mm-hmm. they just, I think it's always fun to have somebody else pulling for you besides your wife or your family, okay? That's the difference in team golf is you finally got guys that you used to try to beat their brains out they're kind of like your buddies now and you want them to play good and you want to play good. So from that aspect, I think it makes golf more fun. I look forward to a couple of weeks or next week where we play that deal in Miami down Doral where it's all team. That's all it's going to be. So that will be really fun to watch. It'll be different than a Ryder cup or a president's cup. I don't want people to think of it that way, but I think it'll be fun to watch and I'm excited that these all these other teams now are starting to kind of get better and gel a little bit. It's not just the four aces show, and that's going to help the product in Doral, uh, I think. Absolutely, Woody, and that's kind of what I wanted to lead into a little bit here uh, is that team championship at Doral. But before we do that, I, I do want to mention that obviously Team Smash wins the golf tournament over the Fireballs, and then Team Crushers was in third. I had a pretty good pick, T-Dub, uh, with Paul Casey finishing 10-under for the Crushers. We just didn't get the play out of DeShambo that we needed, T-Dub. 
Yeah, I, I was going to take the Crushers if they were available. I didn't have a chance. But, yeah, they, they had a, a great tournament. It was pretty thrilling coming down for the, the smash had it won. But between the Fireballs, Crushers, four aces, and high flyers, that, that's four teams that were within two shots of each other. So, I mean, it was it came down to stretch and nitty-gritty, and that's a lot of money riding on the line there for all these guys. I mean, the, the Crushers and the four aces ended up finishing high third, so they split that money there, but the highest flyers missing out that that tied third or even a, what would have been a tied second. A lot more money for the high flyers end up losing two, two shots out, so that kind of sucks for them. Yeah, I, I'm super fascinated with how the team aspect's going to come down down in Doral. It's going to be essentially on Halloween weekend, so I think we're going to have a, a lot of a lot of good good stuff going on there. And, and Woody just came from down there and had some really positive feedback that the course was in great shape as long as I'm not misquoting him. So yeah, it was I, I'm super excited to see it, and I, I want to know which one of these teams is going to prevail because it's something besides college golf that we have every year. We don't have team championships in golf ever come up, so I'm just super fascinated by the uh, dynamic of the situation. And, guys, the bracket for that team championship is out. It'll be Team Smash versus the Majestics. Uh, they will play the four aces. So I probably should say the teams that have the bye into the semifinals first. So the four aces, the Crushers, the Fireballs, and Team Stinger will all four have buys into the semifinals. So Team Smash and the Majestics will play a match play event to play the four aces. Team Torque will play the high flyers to face the crushers. Team Ironheads will play the cliques uh, to face the fireballs. And Team Punch with Cam Smith will play the Niblicks to face the South Africans and Team Stinger. I think that this is a great idea because it takes the individual aspect kind of out of it. Like Woody was saying, it'll be more like what we see in the match play portion of the national championship, Woody. I think that it could be really interesting. What are you expecting not only from that team event and those matchups that I just listed, but what what are we going to see a little way too early preview for Doral, too? We're going to see a, a wonderful golf course, an extremely difficult golf course. And, of course, We've seen it over the years when when they played the uh, PGA Tour there. Um, I think what you're going to see with that golf course being that hard, especially if the wind blows, which it can do, because you're you're right down there on the coast. You're going to probably see, in my opinion, you're going to probably see the cream come to the top because the golf course is so hard and the conditions are going to be tough. I know they're going to have the rough deep. So I look for the guys that have been playing good all year. I look for the four aces for sure. I think the fireballs are, are coming on. I think those are the uh, those are the teams I would want to bet on is the best ball strikers and the ones that have uh, proven that they they play the best under the most difficult conditions. That's all I could think would be my bet. But once I, as I've always said, though, thank goodness I don't bet for a living because I would be dead broke. That's that's exactly right, uh, Woody. Whether you're betting on college football or golf, especially golf, golf's impossible, guys. I, I mean, I don't know how anybody can make money betting on golf. T Dub, we're giving the analytics every single week, and it's like a shot in the dark whether we pick a winner or even a guy to finish in the top five. Really, the best way to do it is you find matchups each week, or if you're playing for like season long deal, right? If you if you hit a, a sixty to one winner then that's going to pay for a decent amount that you have. So it's hard to be consistent week in, week out. But if you just hit a few winners every week at some decent odds, then you can 
at least make it profitable or slightly profitable. It's it's hard to do it to make a whole living off of it for sure. And the only way you're doing that is if you're risking a lot of money up front to try to get more money on the back end. And that's just that's just way too much pressure for me, Sam. I, I'm not going to go down that road. Yeah, and I will say that you know I I feel like you know through these what five six live events that. Uh, Liv has been a little easier to prognosticate, obviously, because there's only 48 guys, so you can get some better odds on some better players on the Live Tour. So I would definitely advise people, if they are going to bet on golf, to definitely bet on Live and not the PGA Tour. It's just too much of a crapshoot. Uh, but speaking of money, Woody, I want to get your thoughts on this. I saw this tweeted out. It says, Dustin Johnson, after seven Live Golf events, so there's been seven Live Golf events, he has $31 million, really $31.6 million in total earnings, not including his guarantee. He has $4.5 million per event, $1.5 million per round, $83,698 per hole. That adds up to $22,280 per shot. Could you imagine back when you were playing on the PGA Tour that a guy would be getting $22,280 per shot, Woody? I can't, and we. but you said it a number of times, Sam, when we've been doing our podcast over the years, that golf now is past baseball. It's people, more people are watching golf than baseball. So if you think about, well, how many how many dollars is each basket worth to LeBron James, okay, or uh, touchdowns for the best quarterbacks, whatever, if you compare, these numbers are finally where people, well, I should say where people, where Phil Mickelson wanted golf to get to. And at $22,000 a shot, um, I'd have made a lot of money because I hit it more times than he did. <laughs> but at a thousand dollars a shot, I'd have been excited. I think mine was a net net. Uh, I, I think I lost money with every shot I hit on the PGA Tour. So um, I would I would say though that no matter what, if you look around, T Dub said earlier, these tours can get along. They can coexist. I, I wish they wouldn't. I wish they could find a way for everybody to merge. But the simple fact that this kind of money is being made by a golfer is mind-boggling to me. I, I, I didn't think I'd see it in my lifetime, and that's pretty cool that we are. And kudos to Dustin Johnson. He took a lot of heat when he left. Um, but you know what? what? What's the saying they have? He's laughing all the way to the bank, and, boys. And T-Dub. You'll like this because I, I said this yesterday on the radio show with Jim Traver. I said that Michael Gellerman, who played at OU, now on the Corn Ferry Tour, did play on the PGA Tour. Friend of the show here, Michael Gellerman, shout out Bob, he tweeted yesterday. He said, and this makes a lot of sense. He was trying to be funny, but it actually does prove that it's getting the attention of Corn Ferry and PGA Tour players. He said, you know why the best golfers in the world want guaranteed money? Because when we watch Russell Wilson play like he did last night, the Broncos still have to pay him $230 million. This is what I'm talking about when I say that players are worth more than they've ever been worth. And and they're and like Phil was talking about when he was wanting all of these rights for PGA Tour players, guaranteed money for PGA Tour players, it's not like that all PGA Tour players and Corn Ferry players 
agree with Rory McIlroy when they say it's all about legacy. It's getting the attention of PGA Tour players and Corn Ferry players for sure. Yeah, when you're someone like Rory or or Tiger, yes, whenever money's not any type of option, it is a lot easier to say it's just about this tournament than it. Bob's exactly right from from a player's perspective. Any because all these independent contractors they are are it's a business essentially. So would you if you're running a business, would you rather have a guaranteed fat check or would you rather have to work and maybe make money or maybe? I mean, it's it's a very simple simple answer, and I get that there's a lot of people that love golf for that reason. It's that you you earn your keep, and I get that there's a traditionalist value, and there's a lot of people who respect that, and I I'm not gonna hate them for that. I think that's totally fine. Don't hate on other people for deciding uh, to, to make another decision, and it's it's proven that that golf has grown so much now that there was a market to to be able to give players guaranteed money, just essentially like Liv is doing. And the PGA Tour didn't want to do that fully, but they are kind of in ways doing that now with with, with all the structure changes around the PGA Tour. So yeah, it's we talked about it a thousand times, and I'll keep saying it. That all these things that have happened are good for the game of golf, and they're going to make golf better. When it's all said and done, and Bob's exactly right. You you see these athletes make the guaranteed money, and they're absolutely horrible now. Russell Wilson making two hundred million or whatever it is, and he's not even a top fifteen quarterback right now. Maybe not even top twenty. So it's it's crazy, and I can understand why all these players are complaining. It seems like the biggest thing from all this is that the lower players haven't had a voice in a long time, and I think that now hopefully maybe they can get a little bit of summer, at least get the keep that they should should be you know like like as you were the first one to report them getting the 500k minimum each year was, was a great step in, in that direction or someone like Chikara has had the tip the foreign characters gone over made six million dollars down and live that's a great decision for him and just don't hate people that want that want to make that type of decision that's all I have to say about it. I totally agree guys hey let's hit a break and then on the other side of the break we'll get into some interesting stories got her up uh got a win this past weekend and it's not the got her up that you were thinking of there's also some interesting propositions according to the live ceo there's also some college golf news that we have to get into and then obviously our preview for the cj cup so stay with us here on the 73rd hole podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. I do want to take a second to tell all of our listeners to go visit our friends at Quail Creek Bank. They've been in business for 
50 years. They just celebrated 50 years. And for the past 13 years, they've been recognized as one of the top performing banks in the nation. As a result, you can feel confident knowing your money is safe and secure and that the guidance that they provide is focused on your needs, not what the bank needs. Go visit our friends at Quail Creek Bank if you're in the Oklahoma City area. And we are back on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And I do want to remind everybody to go visit golfoklahoma.org. Golfoklahoma.org is the best place to get all of your local golf news. We're about to talk about some college golf. You can get all of those stories at golfoklahoma.org. Also, go follow us on at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. And please hit that subscribe button on Apple or Spotify. It's the purple button on Apple and the green button on Spotify. It's free. It just helps us out. I know it's subscribe and every time someone wants you to subscribe that means you got to pay something not here it's absolutely free it just gives you a notification when we drop a new episode t-dub so what is going on in the college golf landscape i know that they had the big 12 match play going on it's still going on t-dub give us an update yeah so we got the, the big 12 match play going on ou and osu currently playing right now actually ou is up three one to two so two matches currently have OSU is up in one match and OU is up in currently three of the matches. So yeah, it's fairly interesting. They're taking six players. Uh, each team does, which I think is kind of weird because then you could have a tie situation three, three. So that's a little bit interesting, but uh, I, I do think that it's, it's a super cool tournament. It's great to see OU and OSU uh, going against each other. We, we've talked about it numerous times over these last couple of weeks about OSU losing Brian Stark. So it's, I think it's good for them to have six players playing, get them a, a little bit more experience. They've kind of got a weird format with the pool A, pool B. It, it's kind of hard to, to understand, but I do think there will be a championship match this afternoon. This is down at Houston Oaks, so which I believe is a really good golf course. So it, it, it's a great tournament. It's good to see. There's not a whole lot of things you can take from the fall. You really just want your young players to get some more experience. And match play is another great experience because these teams that are wanting – get in the national championship that it's something that they're going to have to get used to and, and be willing to get to so we'll have a little bit more update on our next show once that tournament is finalized and before we get off the college golf train one new uh shout out my two former alma maters i don't know how you claim alma mater if that's where you got a degree from whatever <laughs> but uh, uh at oklahoma christian they played a tournament down at uh, the territory in duncan uh, a great golf course down there and they won by 15 shots over Cameron, and they had the individual winner, Alejandro Armillo, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He shot a 63 in the second round, which is actually the lowest score to par in, in school history. So that that's really cool to see. And that at, at a tough golf course, shoot 900 down there it is great. And then my actual alma mater where I graduated from, uh, USAO and Chickasha, I want to shout out my cousin, uh, Luke Burns, who's been uh, doing an absolutely great job as the, as the coach down there. They finished ninth in this tournament, as I mentioned earlier, really tough golf course. So it's great to see them coming up. They started that program, I believe, a year or two after I graduated. So it's great to see a very, very fresh program like that and a family member of mine doing so well. Yeah, Woody, the only thing that I would say about what T-Dub just talked about with college golf is I don't understand if you're going to play the national championship – 
in match play format, why in the world is there only one or two other match play tournaments throughout the year? Don't you think that, you know, at least half your tournament should end in match play if that's what they're going to play at the end of the year? Well, that does make a lot of sense, but I, I guess when you get right down to it, match play is something that we like in small doses. <laughs> I don't right. know how else to explain that to you, but... Especially as players. Match play, yeah, match play, it, it can be really fun and exciting to watch, but it also can be really boring. Um, and so, I don't know, because we really don't play a lot of match play with our buddies, even though you have bets against each other. Uh, it's still about golf has always been that bastion of you put your tee in the ground on number one, you put out on 18, and somebody said, hey, what'd you shoot? Well, I don't know what I shot, but I won five and four. And, and no, no, I just, I don't know. It just, after a little while, you get tired of it. So, I, like I said, little doses, great. But I still argue that they shouldn't have the national championship that way because, to me, that should be the most critical time where you got to count every stroke and everything matters. So, uh, but that's why I'm not on any board. <laughs> I don't run anything. You can thank Mike Holder for that one, Woody. Oh, I know, Coach. Got to love him. <laughs> but T-Dub, speaking of Oklahoma, got her up, got a win over this past weekend, but it's not the got her up that you were thinking of. It's actually Chris Goderup's dad, Morton Goderup, shot 74-72 to win the New Jersey Senior Amateur Championship. And this was at Navasink Country Club in New Jersey. Morton Goderup playing out of Rumson Country Club. I mean, could you imagine having a dad that could just go out there and win the Senior Amateur Championship? I sure as hell don't. <laughs> Well, it shows that golf definitely runs in the genetics, and we know where, where Chris probably learned the majority of his golfing ability from, for sure. So, yeah, that's, that's a super cool story to see. And just, just from the, the photo that we saw on, on Twitter, Sam, uh, looks like Mr. Goddard is pretty jacked. It looks he like looks... He, he spends a little bit uh, of time in the gym, and I bet for his age he can hit some massive, massive balls. So if we can find some tournaments that allow uh, the 50 and older crowd to get up and hit from the senior tees, we could probably be some rich guys because he's going to be hitting uh, some serious bombs out there uh, just off of looks. Woody, are you going to play in any uh, senior events coming up this summer? Uh, no. Uh, but but I, <laughs> I can see how quickly T.W. dumped me. He's already trying to recruit this guy. Okay, what well, now? No, he's no, you're irreplaceable. After your whole well, out of nine at Oak yeah, we can't replace you. There's no way. <laughs> okay, way, way to crowd Ed back. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I don't. I, I would say I'm not going to play in anything, but sometimes people twist my arm. I get stuck playing in something. But I don't. I, I do not have anything scheduled uh, for 2023. Or well, now I take that back. In November. I do have to go to Tucson for a week, and I play a pro-am out there with a bunch of guys from up tree, and we do it. It's a yearly thing. So um, I do have one golf tournament scheduled for the end of the year. So I have, I, I, I'll probably – well, I was going to say I'll probably practice something. No, I won't. 
<laughs> Woody, Woody, I do I do have a serious question to ask because I'm sure we have uh, some listeners that are, uh, how do I say this nicely, elderly or, uh, or in the senior division at their home clubs. And obviously, Morton got her up, uh, got the job done this past weekend shooting four over. Um, and it was apparently a very chilly weekend, which could be tougher uh, for the older guys as well. But Woody, my question here is, is what advice would you give to an older player who's trying to get better, probably has developed some you know, bad habits throughout the years and, and everything? What would you tell a guy who's just going out to try to win his club championship? And it's probably a little bit different advice than you would give to a good player you know, trying to win on whether it be a, a professional event or a college event. Pars and, and even bogeys sometimes are good for these guys, right? Oh, I think I, I tell you what, I think the hardest thing to get used to is as you get older, first your body, it doesn't respond. Your, your muscles don't fire like they used to. Um, stretching, uh, if they don't stretch, they need to stretch. They need to still get some kind of physical exercise because that'll keep their body where they can probably perform. I guess what I'd warn everybody out there, and, and I see it all the time, you know what? You used to hit your seven iron 165 yards. Well, you don't anymore. So quit pulling out your seven iron from 165 yards. And the greatest thing about golf clubs is they had this one called a six. And then they got one below that called a five. Okay? <laughs> so quit trying to hit the golf ball as far as you used to. Except the fact that you're losing speed and altitude. And that one day, God created us so that we can die, okay? <laughs> and before you die, you hit it shorter and shorter and shorter. And you just need to get in your mind, play within yourself. Go play golf, not like you were 25, you're 60. Start thinking that way and don't have those expectations like we talked about of thinking it's going to be all this. It's not. Go enjoy the day and try to shoot the best score you can. Work on your short game, too. Short game, short game, short game. doesn't matter how old you are. You can always pitch and putt better. That is great advice there from Jim Woodward of Oak Tree National. And T-Dub, we mentioned Chris got her up and Morton got her up. There's some other news as far as OU is concerned. And obviously, we've seen the Ransom course, and that's the par 3 course out on OU's facility. Apparently, Ransom has given some uh, Ransom money to the University of Oklahoma, and they're going to update the Coast Center. I don't know how it could get any better. We were there, did interviews with Chris Goddard and and Logan McAllister and Patrick Welch last year here on the 73rd Hole podcast, but uh, tell us a little bit more about the renovations they're going to do at the Coast Center. So this this is a super, super cool, super cool story here. As you mentioned, Sam, a few years ago, uh, the Ransom uh, Par 3 course was built, and uh, not very many people have gotten to play it. I believe they only allow it for the team. I actually got to play in, in a scramble when they first opened it. So I got to play, I, I don't know how many holes are out there. I played three of them, and it's super cool, super great place that, that you can get better at your game, especially with the pitching and chipping, uh, as Woody was alluding to just a second ago. But apparently, Jerry Ransom is, is giving another, I believe, $5 million uh, to, to the program to renovate uh, the Coast Center. As you mentioned, they're going to Essentially, what they're going to do is they're going to put in six new hitting bays, uh, which are going to have the swing analysis uh, technology, which you would figure there. They're going to have a putting studio, a putting lab, 
which I know those things are not cheap, so that's going to be really cool to see. They're going to have a full golf simulator, and they're going to have conference rooms um, for each team, and each team is going to have their own individual suite, which is going to have a locker room, players' lounge, coaches' offices, and rest and recovery space. So, I mean, th- this is super, super cool, and we've, we've talked about this before with one of the reasons that uh, – uh, more, there's more parity, I believe, in, co- in college golf is that the facilities that most of these programs are just getting to be so top-notch. And so now OU's going to be able to stick out even above some of these other other schools with, with once this new facility is built. Um, I believe from reading the article in Golf Oklahoma, I believe that the project is going to start groundbreaking in spring of 2023. So it may take a little bit for the, for this deal uh, to get built up and, and running. But once it is, Sam, it's going to be one of the best facilities in the country as it already was. So, I mean, it just I cannot wait to see when this baby is done. It's going to be absolutely marvelous. It's going to maybe potentially be a Taj Mahal of, of college golf. That is beautiful. And, and the thing that I love about this is that college golf has continued to get more and more, not just respect, but notoriety, especially over the last couple of years, and especially at the University of Oklahoma, as Ryan Hibble has changed that program's direction and culture. Um, just big time stuff there from OU, and they do whatever they need to do to get the best recruits in the country and best guys out of the transfer portal in the country. So Ryan Hibble just continuing to do a great job at the University of Oklahoma. Guys, we had some interesting news. Speaking of Oklahoma, uh, there was a former University of Texas player that was disqualified at Q School over the weekend. Gavin Hall uh, essentially hit a ball into the water, or what they thought was in the water, off the tee box, and uh, hit a provisional, which is definitely not allowed. And then he went up there, um, and the ball was not in the water. They, Even though they saw it splash, it must have skipped off the water onto the bank, and he ends up playing the ball off off the bank. Now, where this story gets a little, I don't know, slimy, I don't know the best word to put it here, is that a caddy that was in the group called in later that night and and, and told the rules officials about it, and Gavin Hall ends up getting disqualified from Q School. This is just a terrible story, but where I kind of stand on it, I know that there was a lot of Twitter debate. To me, Woody... Gavin Hall's got to know the rule that, number one, you can't hit a provisional for a water ball, and number two, you can't go uh, up and hit the original ball off the bank of the water. What are your thoughts on this? It gets back to what we've had many discussions about is everybody that's coming up through the ranks playing golf, it seems like the rule book is just not something that they bother to look at. They figure there's always going to be an official or somebody around to help them out. So they don't need to know the rules. Well, that doesn't always happen that way. The way the rules work, Sam, as you guys know, they're very penal when you make a mistake. Like when he hit the provisional, which is against the rules, that was already bad enough. But now he goes and hits the other ball. That's even a greater penalty. And that's why he was disqualified for playing the wrong ball. He was not disqualified for hitting the provisional, which is a two-shot penalty. Right. And so that's what happens in the game of golf with the rule book. Some people say, well, that's just not fair. Well, you know what? At the, at the start of the USGA, the rule book says right off the bat, I don't remember it saying anywhere on the front cover or anything, every rule in here is not fair but tough luck. You know, it doesn't say that. It says here's the rules of golf. And 
just know the basics, for goodness sakes, for him to hit a provisional ball because he thought it went in the water. There is no place in the rule book that ever says you hit a provisional for a ball in the water. Provisional for maybe a lost ball. Provisional for out of bounds. But not for hitting it in the water. This is this is basic, basic stuff. Now, it's going to cost this boy a lot of money, first off, because we all know that the internet tour school now, what is it, five, six thousand, if not more? Um, I know it's way up there. And to get kicked out for that, it's just, just really stupid on his part. It's a valuable lesson. It's an expensive lesson. And now he's going to have to do uh, many tours or whatever he can do for a year. Yeah, and T-Dub, I'm reading the Fire Pit Collective and, and Monday Q info here. Below that tweet, talking about the uh, the story that he tweeted out about this Gavin Hall disqualification, he said, I have a couple points. He said, number one, there is zero dispute that Gavin should have known the rule. None. Number two, it's a stupid rule. His option was to walk all the way up to confirm it was in the water, then all the way back to the tee. Number three, it's ultimately the responsibility of Hall and Hall only. And number four, the caddy sucks. Now, I don't necessarily agree that the caddy sucks. Um, probably the caddy should have told them sooner than you know that night. But at the same time, the caddy is protecting the field. It, it just seems like that that was such an egregious mistake that this doesn't necessarily fall into the category um, of some caddy trying to screw another player to me. In my opinion, it's so egregious that I don't see how it's not confronted immediately. I, know. I don't see how... There's not one player, I'm assuming they're playing threesomes, there's not one of the other two players who knows that that's not a rule. I mean, it, it's the, the reason that, that it is a rule the way that it is is because they don't. They want you, whenever you have your, if you find your ball, they want you to be able to have the option of going back and re-hitting from where it was, but you don't want to be able to know where that ball already is. That's the whole reason they have that. I don't agree with it. I think it's stupid. I think it slows down uh, pace of play. I will say that, that, that I do, I do think the caddy is wrong for for not saying something. At least, uh, if it was on the 18th hole, then, then okay, then maybe. But if it's on, if it's anywhere close to the front nine or in the first 11, 12 holes, whatever, there's no way that they should have waited till the end. To, it, at and by the way, just, you- just a caveat here: he shot 66 in that first round. Um, and he got the call an hour after uh, he signed his scorecard for that round. So that is a little bit uh, – it, it does seem like they might have waited for, for bad reasons there. It, it could have been a little bit. And so that's what that's what I'll, I'll claim, claim that the caddy was, was wrong for there and should have had some sort of discussion way before that point. I will say just to one of Woody's points he mentioned earlier, and he's absolutely right, that, that young players in particular – have no idea anything about the rules, and, and this is why it's a bad thing. I remember there was a, a Thunder game back when Chris Paul was playing here, and I can't remember the exact situation, but that, the, the Thunder were down like five points. It was like five seconds left. And mm-hmm. Chris Paul pointed out some obscure rule that the that the opposing player had like his jersey unstuck or something stupid like that, and they end up getting technical fouls, and they end up winning the game off of that rule. So, And that can happen in golf, too, if you know – if you're taking relief from a cart path or any type of unplayable and you know every single option that you have, it could extremely benefit you in, in more ways than one. So exactly. I, I think that young I think young players in particular are missing out on knowing the rules. I will say the only thing about it, and I think this is what 
distract a lot of people from learning the rules is that they're just so complicated. I guarantee you right now, I'm in the top 99% of people knowing the rules of golf, and there's numerous rules that I do not know about in golf. Right. So it's just, I've been saying it for years that there needs to be a, a more collection of it. But, but something as simple for what I would consider would be, I mean, it's not like novice one-on-one. It's, not, it's a little bit above like taking a drop from a cart path. But I feel like if you played any type of competitive golf, especially at Texas, you have to know that that's a rule. So it, it seems really, really, I don't know what way to put it, but it just seems iffy to me that, that the player wouldn't know that. Maybe they're just nervous under the moment and don't know that because there's no way that you don't know that rule. And, and Woody, to me, yes, the rules of golf are complicated, but even I, I guarantee you, you watched the OSU-TCU game. TCU was taking advantage of the rule that, you know, you can fake an injury and, and substitute guys in. You know, it, it, it happens in every sport. So my question to you, Woody, is where is the line of morality on something like this? And, and, and where is it, you know, competitive? And where where is the line uh, where, where you kind of cross it? Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, I agree with what you're saying. I, if the caddy knew that rule on that tee box and he didn't speak up, now you're kind of questionable, in my opinion. If he waits till after the round and then he waits till that night. Now, if he went home after the round and he went and got a rule book, or the Google, story now the story hey, here <laughs> says an hour after it says an hour after shooting 66 in the first round of. Corn Ferry Tour School, Gavin Hall received a phone call. Yeah, so so may, maybe what that means is, is that maybe it took them that long. Maybe he did talk to him after the round, and it just took them that long to finalize everything and to call him. Because an hour after you play, like I, I highly doubt that he that the caddy talked to him 50 minutes after the round. They immediately right. called him 10 minutes after that. I guarantee you they had to get some things lined up before they made that call. I would think so. And, and in that case, I, I don't know. I I told you about the time I had to tap down those spike marks. Only time I almost got in a fight on the PGA Tour. Uh, you you do want to look out for the the other competitors. Um, obviously, this Gavin Hall's not a cheater. He just didn't know the rules. I mean, or yes, he was lazy and didn't want to walk all the way down there and all the way back. Well, that could be too. I mean, he is from Texas. What can you say? Okay. <laughs> They have a tendency to be lazy at the University of Texas. So <laughs> I I think you are walking – we, anytime we talk about golf, guys, we what are we always talking about is our morals, our standards, uh, the way we react uh, to issues where there's cheating or not cheating going on. If I see my ball move, I call it on myself and don't think anything of it. We've always said golfers are a little bit different than the other sports, and because the other sports are, if they're if they're not cheating, they're not trying. Okay, and they try to cheat. Well, that you know, I don't like that. So I'll stick with being a golfer, and I'm going to tell you, we do have our Patrick Reeds of the world. We do have some people that are questionable. I better be careful he'll hear this podcast and sue me. Um, <laughs> I, I just I just think we have to be really careful that we protect the game. And in saying that, there, we can protect the game and have the highest morals and standards. We don't have to be little snakes in the grass that are looking for somebody to mess up and then can't wait for them to sign the car and go, whoa, you're disqualified. I, I hope 
hope we never get to that. Guys, to kind of wrap up that Gavin Hall story, the thing that I want to say is that there's no winners in this situation. I Like what he said, I don't think that Gavin Hall's a cheater, and I don't necessarily think the caddy made a big mistake. It was just a bad situation all around for all parties involved, and I hope that Gavin Hall comes back and gets through Q School next year, even Monday qualifies uh, this upcoming summer and, and you know gets his Corn Ferry card and goes on to the PGA Tour and has a great career. Um, it's just one of those situations that you know we don't necessarily all always hear about um, in the game of golf because it rarely happens on the PGA Tour because there's a rules official with every group. And so let's move on. Let's get to uh, some interesting news that we heard out of Live Golf over the past weekend. We've heard a lot about official World Golf ranking T-Dub and the Live CEO came out and essentially said if the Masters does not let the Live players play that he will hold his own major championship. And uh, Live Golf Latest tweeted this out and said, you know, a, a hypothetical question here. It says, Live holds a major, puts up $200 million purse, um, invites whoever they want, and invites uh, the entire Live field. Uh, would you consider that a major, number one? And number two, my thoughts on it, T-Dub, are... are you know, if you're invited to play in the Masters, you play in the Masters. However, my real question here is, is it really a tradition unlike any other if they filled a field using a bogus ranking system? I mean, Dustin Johnson, for goodness sakes, is not even in the top 20 in official world golf ranking, and that's a former champion at Augusta National, so he'll be in the Masters regardless, uh, assuming they don't you know, ban former champions, but T-Dub, I don't see Augusta National diluting their own product, but who knows? There's major Augusta National members who do business with the PGA Tour. Obviously, AT&T is one of the biggest ones. Yeah, there, there sure are a, lo- a lot of moving pieces here. I, I will say this, first and foremost. The only reason that this, that this what the starting uh, off CEO said, w- would make any sort of relevance would be if, the majors did end up banning the live players, which it would be the biggest travesty of them all. And so the actual majors would be diluted. But would I, would I consider these other permits major? Absolutely not. No, no, there's no chance. They would be major for a bank account. I mean, they, the, I guarantee you'd probably get upwards of 8 to $15 million if, if you won one of these live majors they end up having them. So that's the only thing that it would be a quote-unquote major for. The, the four majors speak, speak for themselves, and, and they forever will hold that record the only way they won't is if they do this and they start banning players that should be there who aren't so so yeah no I, I don't see this ever becoming a thing I do think that maybe live would will try to have their maybe have four events on their schedule that they call their majors and maybe have bigger purses that kind of thing so maybe that's a possibility but if they do have to create their own tournaments to compete against the majors because the majors have banned their players it, it would it would ruin all the good changes that have come over the last few months uh, with all the, the live golf changes. And Woody, to me, it just seems like that the PGA Tour and, and, and you know, whether it be Fred Ridley or, or Keith Pelly, it just seems like their big thing is growing the game of golf. I don't understand how this is growing the game of golf whatsoever, and it does worry me a little bit. I, I wonder if it worries you that the Live CEO is already coming out publicly and saying, if this is what they do, then this is what we do, right? And so... 
I don't know. This isn't sounding great for Liv uh, getting into the majors, and and maybe it's you know a strong arm tactic because of the official World Golf ranking battle going on right now. What do you think about this whole situation, Woody? Not necessarily the hypothetical uh, major championship that the Liv CEO brought up. One of the things we've said all along on this this whole controversy with golf is changing courses. We don't want the majors to be affected. The only true, uh, you know, consistency, and, and he does said it best, man, they, there's a history of these four golf tournaments that are untouchable. Why do you think there hasn't been a fifth major? They've tried to make that tournament players championship a fifth major, guys, for I don't know how many years. Back when I was playing, they were talking about it shouldn't be the fifth major. We don't have five majors. We have four. Okay, that's what we have in golf. Like it, don't like it, I don't care. We have four majors. And I don't want Liv to have their majors and everybody else have the other majors. That is not good for the game. And surely these guys are going to have a sit down where they get calmer heads and they're going to figure this out, Sam. I, I really still believe that because, no, we don't need, the original four majors that have been there forever, and then a bunch of other majors, so-called majors, and the only reason why they're majors is because the purse is some astronomical number. That that when we talk about legacy guys, this is the only time I do hold my, I kind of change my course a little bit. Those four are going to be the way it always is, and that's what it should be. T-Dub, I had an interesting uh, text here from someone local in the golf world that I really respect, and he said, although I know we probably disagree, they aren't the ones diluting it. Talking about the Masters, uh, he says that the players made their choices and they knew the consequences, and, and to me, I said... Uh, so now all of a sudden that the tour that they play on matters for the majors, that's crazy to me. DJ not being ranked in the top 20 in the world right now is not his fault. I'm sorry. So where do you fall on that debate? Because I feel like we're, we're turning golf into politics here where we have, you know, a right and a left and, and neither side is ever going to agree on this because of, you know, the, the base values. Well, I keep hearing the phrase, they know what they got themselves into. I understand whenever they talk about the world ranking points because, no, live events were not going to have world ranking points when they signed up. They thought that they may have the possibility of getting them, but at the time, no, they didn't. But I keep hearing that same argument for knowing, oh, they know what they got themselves into if they get banned from the majors. And in what realm did they know that? Like, there's nothing that stipulates you have to be on a specific curve. Uh, if you're already, like, if you're at the Masters, you're already a past champion. Like, if you've met the criteria, if you're in the U.S. Open and you qualified, it doesn't matter where the hell you play at. You get in. And so this whole argument, they know what they're, they got themselves into. I don't agree with that at one bit when it comes to uh, the uh, banning from the majors. And I just want to make this point real quick before uh, we get off the topic of, of world ranking points. Because as much as I hate talking about it, I saw something this last week that pissed me off beyond belief. There were 78 players who played in the Zozo Championship this last week. 78. There was no cut. Every single one of them got a world ranking point. Every one of them. I, I went on and I looked. I said, okay, well, what do they do? What, at what point did they cut off in world ranking points? Are they top 50, top top 48? If there's 78 players, what's in the middle of that? 39? So somewhere 39, that, that's a good place to cut off. Every single one of them got a world ranking point, Sam. It, it's 
beyond belief the hypocrisy that the world ranking point system has at this point. And you know what their argument is, T-Dub? They always argue, yes, okay, the live field is better this week, but they're going up against the fall PGA Tour schedule. Well, what does that matter as far as official world golf ranking goes? One is getting official world golf ranking and the best tournament of the week is not. It just seems unfair to me. And Woody, I don't know if you have anything else to close this out, but... To me, I don't see this issue being resolved, and it all comes down to what the majors say on it. And I think that if Augusta National keeps these live guys out, and to me, they should reciprocate uh, the official World Golf ranking points that they would have received for the first seven live events, right? To me, because guys like a Taylor Gooch, there's no reason why they should be outside the top 40 in the world right now. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, Augusta, what has Augusta always said? We can invite whoever we want, okay? Well, for them, if they don't let these guys in, then it's politics. Then there's a bigger picture that we don't know about, guys. That's what it comes down to. And any of the majors, and if the PGA of America does not let these guys play, boy, I don't write letters and emails very often, but I'll rip whoever I can with PGA. If if they base it that political, but they don't let these guys play, that is so wrong in every way, shape, and form. And we'll see. You know, it's not long, guys. April seems a long ways away. It's not. It'll be here before you know it. And we'll see what happens. If they start playing that kind of game, then we do have a problem with golf. We really do. And, and real, real, real quick, just a point on this world ranking point to show how big of a joke it is at this point. Ricky Kawamoto finished tied for 72nd out of 78 people this last week. He was 296 in the world before that. Well, by finishing 72nd out of 78 people, he moved up to 292nd. I know that doesn't seem like a whole lot, but moving up four spots in the world rankings, basically because you were a given a spot in, into the field, and because you didn't do anything past that point, you didn't finish in the top 90% of the field. It's it's an absolute joke at this point. It, it just it's, it, it bothers me so much when I get on here and say, everyone they say about lift, oh, we don't want to give world ranking points because we don't want someone finishing 45th out of 48th and get a world ranking points. Well, that's exactly what happened this week on the PJ Tour. Exactly what happened. Yeah, I don't understand the whole argument of whether it's an exhibition or not because it's very debatable which tournament was an exhibition and which one wasn't. I don't know why we can't just do what we're doing here on the 73rd hole and coexist between the two tours. Both tournaments, like we said earlier, had a good field and had great tournaments this past weekend, whether it be Liv Jetta or the Zozo. I think it would be a travesty if these majors kept these players out of the majors, guys. Uh, speaking of another tournament that happened over the past weekend that we have to get to, Freddie Couples, 63-year-old Freddie Couples, guys, went out and shot 20 under. Now, he shot 68, 68, 60, and he's 63. He beat his age by three shots, guys, and birdied 12 out of his last 14 holes to win the SAS championship on the senior tour, Woody. What can you tell us about Freddie Couples? How does he keep doing it at 63 years old? That's just the craziest thing. When I saw that, Sam, I, I thought, well, he, he what? And then I looked at his scorecard, and he starts off with four pars. And then all of a sudden, 
boom, like you said, 12 out of the next 14 holes he birdied. Um, I can only tell you, I'll tell you one quick Freddie Couple story, because most of them I can't tell on the air. <laughs> uh, but but Freddie's such a different cat. I mean, we, we knew each other when he was playing at Houston, I was playing at Oklahoma State. Um, he's always been the kind of guy that what you see is what you get. Literally, he just kind of say, oh, hey, what's up, dude? You know, uh, cool. He's just the ultimate GQ cool guy. And I remember getting paired with him in Tucson. And we were playing at Tucson National Golf Course. And anytime you got paired with Freddie Couples, it was always a very scenic round. And I'm not talking about the golf course. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if they were strippers or they don't have much clothes on and they are really glad that Freddie's there. And you're just lucky enough to get to kind of tag along with him. And, and you, you almost feel like a little puppy dog following him because, oh, boy, this is fun, Freddie. Fun. Throw the bone again. You know, and uh, uh, we're playing Tucson. It's a pretty good golf course. It's not the hardest golf course in the world, but it's that desert golf. And uh, I've played a lot of golf links, so I kind of should have known this. But literally, guys, he went out that day, and, and he hit a lot of good shots, but he, he hit some clankers and some other stuff. But his demeanor never changed, and Joe LaCava was his caddy, and they were just the greatest guys to play with because they just shoot the crap with you all day long. And we get finished, and I thought, I finally beat him. I got him today. Because I think I shot six under. And we're in the tent, scorecards and all, and, and he, he shoves his card over there, and they're reading off the scores, and they say, good round. And he goes, thank you. And I, I looked over at him. I said, what would you shoot? And he said, 64. And I thought, <laughs> he just beat me again by two. And I swear to you, it didn't look like he was shooting 64. I mean, he he made everything just look so easy. That golf swing is easy. It's powerful as I'll get out. But, I mean, it just really brought to my attention that day as I walked out of the tent. I thought, he's going to be better than me now. He's going to be better than me later. And at 63, he's still a whole lot better than me. So, the good one. <laughs> They make it look easy, and uh, yeah, kudos to him because of all the back in all the things he's been through. That he can go out and shoot sixty. He's a rare, rare, rare duck guy, and and I wish you could sit with him and and have a beer because he is one funny son of a gun when you get him on. <laughs> now, Woody, have you shot your age yet? You know what? That's a great question. I, I haven't played enough eighteen hole rounds to think that I have. Um, <laughs> You know, let me think back to that. Okay, I'm 65. I did. I have shot. I shot. Uh, I shot my age at Jimmy Austin. I shot 64, but it wasn't from any kind of championship tees. It was from further up tees. I shot. I shot 64 there when I was 64. So I have shot my age once. You know what? I I'm I'm not real good at all that because I. I don't care. Um, you know, <laughs> T-Dub, you know you're care. good when you don't even know if you've shot your age and you have. Well, it, 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 it's just not – you know what I mean, guys? Priorities in your life change, and uh, I still love golf. By the way, I have officially opened the, the Island Green, and uh, 
I hate to even admit this, I'd say it was about 150 yards, and it's a little longer than that, not much, because I shot it with my laser, and it's a little downhill, but um, <laughs> I'm telling you these stories because it was cold. Do you remember? It's kind of chilly. Yep. So I was hitting six irons. I was just talking about how people need to check it. You know, I, I started with a seven. I couldn't get it here, so I went to my six. I've officially knocked it on the green a number of times now, so it can be done. So when anybody comes out and they go, well, how do you hit that green? Well, you, you just got to be good enough to hit that green. <laughs> <laughs> that is what, beautiful. What direction is, what direction is the whole face, Woody? Where was the well, money coming from? from? If, you, if you're shooting from my backyard, I'm almost hitting Dewey, uh, kind of a little bit northeast. So yesterday I was a little bit into that north breeze, so that, that's why I'm going to say that's why I need my six iron also. Uh, but uh, I've already looked at, we've got about four other tee boxes that I've mowed down, and I'm going to I'm gonna build a little pad on them. So uh, I've got anywhere from a 105-yard shot to my longest shot is almost 200 yards. Now, what do you, you said from your backyard, does the wife not get mad if you leave divots in the yard? Yeah, well, I don't have that good of grass. <laughs> My grass is kind of, it's kind of a weed slash Bermuda, and uh, like anything, it grows back quickly. So, yeah, uh, he, the first few times I took some pretty good divots, I got the old uh, dreaded look. But, you know, she, she got over it. I'm a golf professional. I should be able to hit golf balls out of my backyard. So I think she just laid open there. That is beautiful. Great stuff there from Jim Woodward. Uh, T-Dub, we have the CJ Cup in South Carolina this week. And all the big names on the PGA Tour, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Sung J.M., Matthew Fitzpatrick, Cam Young, Max Homa, Aaron Wise, Jordan Speed, Lowry, Hovland, Burns, Connors, Morikawa, Bradley, all the guys that you could possibly think of on the PGA Tour playing in the CJ Cup. And I am flabbergasted at the fact that Rory McIlroy on Data Golf has a 14.3% chance to win. That's way too high. Uh, you know, if, if you don't listen to our uh, previews, uh, at least last year, you would know that, you know, the average is about eight and a half, and that's what John Rahm is at to win this golf tournament. Why is Rory McIlroy in a field this good so big of a favorite this week at the CJ Cup, T-Dub? Well, obviously, Rory is the best player in the game right now, especially analytically. Is he actually had this year was his best analytically overall round he's had in his entire career, which is absolutely saying something. I mean, he hadn't finished outside of the the only time he finished outside the top ten uh, in the last, I believe, going all the way back to the U.S. Open was when he missed a cut at, at the FedEx St. Jude Classic. He did he did finish nineteenth at the Travelers, so that's also a far as worst finish. And I think the main thing about it, Sam, is. The course just sets up so well for him. This is an absolute bomber's paradise. Sangre is. I think most of the long hitters, the the, the John Rahm, the Cam Young, uh, the Scotty Schefflers, uh, even guys like Trey Mullinax and Wyndham Clark, guys that hit it far, are going to be really good fits for this course. So I do think it, it's more of a course fit thing for Rory, and and because he's playing well. But I will say that I do think that is a little bit too high when you have Rahm, Scheffler, JT, Sungjae, it's Patrick, uh, even some of those other names you mentioned, even someone like Pete. And Hovland are down uh, outside the top 10. Sam Burns, Morikawa as well, outside the top 10 uh, of, of picks this week. It, it's an absolutely loaded field. So I think that is a little bit too high for Rory. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he ended up winning. 
Now, T-Dub, remind me who won at Congaree last year. I know that Morikawa, didn't he finish second? Am I wrong about that? So the only time they've had a, a tournament here at, at Congaree was, I believe it was the week before uh, the U.S. Open, I believe, uh, a few years ago. I think that's where it's we had the, year, old, the yeah. infamous Chesson. I think that's where we had the infamous Chesson Hadley. That's right. Um, uh, Putt through, yeah. So, But as, as for people that have played here before, Terrell Hatton, out of people in the field, Hatton finished second here. When it was played here in 2021, um, it was 2021. Yeah, that's when it was. So, and then Matthew Fitzpatrick finished tenth here. So, and Harry English finished fourteenth, as long along with Ches Reevy, uh, Seamus Power finished nineteenth. Uh, so, not a whole lot of course history uh, to go off of. But yeah, I do believe that it was, was. Garrett, it was, yeah, was Garrett Higo was the guy that I was trying to think of that beat Morikawa. Uh, I remember I had him picked that week. Yes, and the one of them. Yes, what a glorious tournament that was. Absolutely. Woody, out of those great names that you see uh, on that preview leaderboard here, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, are you going with anybody other than the big, big names there? No, I'm not. Because, well, especially Rahm and Rory, they're, they're both been playing so good. So I don't know how you go against them and try to pick a, a dark horse for this. I Nah, I don't. I don't know. If we're gonna pick, I I don't know what that, I get to pick, what choice I am. But uh, I think I've got my guy figured out who it'll be. Guys, let's go ahead and make some picks. Let's pick uh, three players and a dark horse uh, instead of doing the DraftKings like we normally do. Um, Woody, why don't you go ahead and start us off here and and pick one player and then we'll go back and forth. Okay, T-Dub, I heard him. I'm going to pick one player, okay? And that would be John Rahm. I'm going to go with John Rahm to win this week. T-Dub? Winner, I mean, it's hard to go against the analytics with Rory, but, uh, you know, someone who the analytics aren't super high on for their value, give me JT. I think JT is going to have a really good week. I'm going to go Rory McIlroy to win the golf tournament. However, I think that Victor Hovland, who had a really solid week last week, uh, could have another solid week here at Congaree. Um, But guys, my next pick would have to be Colin Morikawa. I mean, he finished second here uh, last year. And so Colin Morikawa, a guy that... I feel like, you know, he goes through stretches where we think he's the best player in the world, um, but he just didn't putt very well in the majors um, last year and and really in the Tour Championship as well. He almost lost two shots on the greens. And so Colin Morikawa needs to prove something uh, to me here in his uh, inaugural start in 2023. So give me... Um, I'm debating between a couple people here. Scheffler's third in the analytics, but I haven't. I didn't really like what I saw at the President's Cup, and so I, I'm not going to to pick him. I'm debating between Matty Smith and Cam Young. I, I, I try to sell on how much Bomber's going to be a favorite here, but he did finish tenth here when it was played here last uh, at this course. So give me Matty Smith. I think he's going to have a fairly decent week. Yeah, and then Woody, since Woody went with one guy, I'll go ahead and give my last, uh, my third place finisher here. I'm going to go Keegan Bradley, just recent form. I mean, it's hard to go against one of the best ball strikers in the world who who is apparently on a very big heater on the greens, T-Dub, uh, gaining 1.43. I'll say it again. I can't believe the stat uh, that he's gaining 1.43 shots on the green so far this year. Uh, you know, Keegan Bradley just seems like an obvious pick just because of recent form. 
Yeah, you just never know after he after he wins and coming across from from Japan. What that what that'll leave another guy that I like this week. I'll go with give me Sam Burns. I, I think he's going to play very very well. Bombers Paradise, like I mentioned, he just absolutely smokes the ball. I think he'll do well. Didn't putt very well at, at, at Sanderson Farms, so he's notorious for being an exceptionally great putter. So as long as he's able to turn that around, I think Sam Burns has a great chance at winning this tournament. T-Dub, as far as dark horses, let me look at the the odds here. I'm going down the list a little bit. Um, Man, you can get some really solid players this week at some really high odds, like a Tommy Fleetwood at plus 8,000. You can get Sam Burns at plus 2,800, even a Tom Kim at plus 2,800. Uh, You can get Keegan Bradley at plus 4,500. but T-Dub, my dark horse is going to be Aaron Wise at plus 4,500. It just seems too obvious to me that Aaron Wise is the choice here. If I go back uh, last year and, and even at the start of this year, he's had some super solid finishes. And, and the thing that impresses me the most about Aaron Wise is the fact that he gained over half a shot, strokes gained approach and off the tee and gained shots on the greens as well last year. If he puts solid this week, he's going to be in the top 10. Yeah, well, we've talked for a while on this show how Aaron Wise is very, very underrated player and still continues to be that way. He's favored over a lot a lot of big names this week. Um, a couple guys a little bit down the list that, that, I, that I like. I, I like Maverick Munili this week. He's, I believe he's 7,900 on, on draft teams. He finished 12th and 10th at, at the Zozo and the Shriners respectively, so I expect him keep that trend going on. Another one of those young players who, you know, we brought up Yule Line earlier, and I think McNeely's had a better start uh, to his career than Yule Line did. So, I mean, he could keep it rolling. He, he was very, very good at Stanford. Then another guy at 7,200, I, I really like to make the cut if you're looking for a middle value on your draft team. That's Keith Mitchell. I, I think he's very, very underrated this week. He hasn't been – he didn't play particularly well at the Shriners, finished 60th, but but at least he made the cut. And going back to the end of last year on the, on the tour, he was very, very steady. Only missed one cut going all the way back to the Wells Fargo in May. So I think he's a very, very good option to, to get you four rounds in uh, if you're looking for a low-value play on draft. Woody, I'm curious. This is a little bit different for the PGA Tour. They don't normally go to places that are this, let's say, chilly as South Carolina is this time of year. It's going to be, right now, it's 56 at Congaree. It's a high of 61, 67, 70, and 74 for the golf tournament. Um, what do you, how does that affect the play this week? And it might be a little bit different than when we saw Congaree in the summertime. Tell us how it might be a little different. Well, you know, it's going to be cooler for sure. But golf balls nowadays, that, that's not going to affect the golf balls uh, that much. I mean, 70-something degrees, that, that's going to be really kind of pleasant for them to play in. Now, if you were telling me mid-40s, high-30s, something like that, I might go, well, yeah, this going to be a little different golf tournament. Well, I will sure, say it, it depends on your tee time here because the low each day is in the 30s. So, you know, it might be right. one of those rare weeks where it's better to play in the afternoon. Well, yeah, it will be for sure. Uh, what, what's so hard is we're almost to the end of October, and anywhere you play in the United States is going to be the possibility, except maybe Florida, that it's going to get a little chilly. So the other thing is we're almost at the end of October. Uh, the, these guys trying to pick a winner this week's really hard, I think, because they're already kind of in their little bit of a wind-down mode. They've got, you know, they've got kids, Halloween's coming up, and then there's Thanksgiving, then there's Christmas, New Year. 
I just sometimes wonder how motivated a lot of these guys are going to be. One guy we didn't mention when you guys were picking people, I, I think Jordan Spieth's going to have a good week this week. Um, and I don't know why I would still throw that one out there, but I think he's going to play pretty good this week. So um, I, I, this is probably one of the few little PGA events I'll watch this weekend. Simply, that field is pretty doggone strong. Yeah, and Woody, I, your Jordan Spieth point, Jordan Spieth, you know, on the year last year, it just seemed like every time he putted well, he, he played well. Um, it, to me, though, T-Dub, with Jordan Spieth, it just, the ball striking wasn't there. He had some tournaments like the Tour Championship where he almost gained two shots, strokes gained approach, but he had tournaments like the FedEx St. Jude in that same playoff where he lost a shot and a half, strokes gained approach. And uh, for Jordan Spieth to play well, it seems like he has to hit the irons well. And in all three of the playoff events, he lost strokes on the greens. I need to see something more from uh, from Jordan Speed. Well, his ball striking has just become so inconsistent. So going back to the Masters, he played in roughly twelve events, maybe thirteen events, and there was only four of them that, that he that he lost strokes gain approach. But the problem is that when he lost strokes. I do want to take a second to tell all of our listeners to go visit our friends at Quail Creek Bank. They've been in business for 50 years. They just celebrated 50 years. And for the past 13 years, they've been recognized as one of the top performing banks in the nation. As a result, you can feel confident knowing your money is safe and secure and that the guidance that they provide is focused on your needs, not what the bank needs. Go visit our friends at Quail Creek Bank if you're in the Oklahoma city area can approach it was uh, two of them were more than a shot one of them was almost a full shot and the other was half of a shot and, and in each of those tournaments FedEx St. Jude lost over half a shot missed cut uh lost point eight the Travelers missed cut actually finished 18th at uh, at the Memorial but that's because he gained 1.3 on the greens by far his best putting event he had uh, of this entire year then going back to the Masters missed the cut lost 1.7 approach so it's just so streaky now but if he does hit it well with his irons He's going to at least keep the floor of, of his week bad, but it just it seems like it's pretty tricky for him. Even when he won back at Heritage, he, he wasn't able to put the putting together. He lost more than half a shot on the greens that week. Uh, the the uh, next time that he played down at the Byron Nelson, he finished second. He actually gained stroke in every single one of those categories, so I believe that was probably one of his best play that he had all year. So he just needs to be able to piece everything together, but it just seems like everything is so sporadic at this point. It's really hard to. It would be hard for me to pick him. And it wouldn't surprise me if he was around the top fifteen, top twenty. So he's my dark horse. <laughs> there, there you go. Exactly. Jordan Spieth is Woody's dark horse at the CJ Cup. Uh, Woody famously picking really, really good dark horses. Uh, boys, did we miss anything today? I'm excited to watch the PGA Tour this week. It's been a while since they've uh, had a regular event that uh, really didn't go up against anything that I could really get behind. And we're actually going to have some golf in, in a time zone that's close to us as well. So that, Thank that you. is going Finally. to be real. That's good. Uh, no doubt. It's, it's been, it was nice to be able to watch a little bit on the live on replay. And I believe one of the nights I was up watching the Zozo Cup, I stayed up late. So that was that was nice while it lasted. But at the same time, I'm good to get a little bit of change. And I'm sure we did miss a few things because we covered so much. But the last thing I want to reiterate, we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, and I just want to say it. If you're an, a, an inspiring elite junior golfer, 
read a damn rule book and learn the rules. It'll benefit you in more ways than you can imagine. <laughs> I totally agree. I think that's a great way to end the show here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Please go visit golfoklahoma.org and get all of your local golf news, whether it be high school, college, or even professional golf here in the state of Oklahoma. Thank you, Woody. Thank you, T-Dub. This has been Sam Humphreys here on the 73rd Old Podcast, the ING award-winning 73rd Old Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.